Hello and welcome to the Research Connection Podcast, the show that brings current expertise and cutting-edge research and connects it with users in the community. So I am Rachel Heron. Uh, I'm a Canada Research Chair in Rural and Remote Mental Health. Uh, and I'm here today to talk to what I would refer to as a lived experience expert. Um, I research mental health, uh, but the experts are the people who, who live with mental illness or a mental health problem. And most of the research findings that, that we present are really based on the narratives and experiences of, of those individuals. And so I'm here today with Jerry, uh, who's going to introduce himself and a bit about his uh, experience and journey uh, with mental health. Hi, Rachel. It's it's good to talk to you again. Um, yes, my name is Jerry. Uh, I actually used to be a farmer uh, back in the day, I call it now. Maybe that ages me a wee bit. Um, was a hog, hog and poultry producer uh, near Brandon. Um, what happened is actually... Uh, in the course of that in 2004, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Um, and so I, I often say that in 2004, my journey started, although in retrospect with what I've learned, perhaps it may have started earlier in life, but I used 2004 as a starting point. Um, I went on medication at that time, prescribed by my doctor, obviously, and that's that's where I talk about, or that's what I say is the, the, the recovery part of my journey. Um, but discovery uh, came much later down the road. Uh, long story short is in 2000, I started doing conflict management work uh, with the Manitoba Farm Mediation Board, uh, dealt with a lot of farmers. In 2007, as our farm was winding down, in fact, um, there was a call for, for volunteers at the Manitoba Farm and Rural Stress Line, as it was called at the time. I decided to apply for that because I thought it would be a good extension to, to the work I was doing, because obviously when you deal with farmers in financial distress, there's very often mental, mental health stuff going on as well. Um, so what happened is I did apply, I took some intensive training for that, uh, did some work for them, volunteered for them, did some contract work. And then ironically enough, in 2010, uh, there was a series of workshop um, sponsored by the United Way in Brandon uh, to deal with men and depression, specifically men and depression. And so the manager of the farm line at the time uh, contracted me uh, to facilitate these workshops. As part of that, she said she would really like to have a male farmer tell of their own experiences. Um, she was aware of my own journey, and so she asked me whether I'd be prepared to tell my story. I'm the type of person, Rachel, I've never said no to anything, so of course I said yes, uh, not realizing the implications of that. Uh, but in 2010, I did start telling my story. And, and it was really interesting because I, I often say that first and foremost, the training I got for the farm line combined with myself telling my story, in fact, was the discovery part of my journey. And all the stuff I learned about mental health, I learned about myself, 
uh, was really beneficial in myself on my journey. And I often tell people, yes, my journey started in 2004 and it isn't over today. Um, a little bit later, perhaps we can talk about the fact that just in the last couple of weeks, I had to go seek help again because of certain issues that were going on. But what happened is I started talking about it. Um, and it was interesting because a lot of people, uh, people I had learned or had gotten to know through the, through the hog industry, for example, when I was on the hog board and through farm mediation and through boards I sat on, a lot of individuals came to me when they heard my story and started talking about their journeys as well. And again, it's something we don't know, right? We meet people and we don't realize or understand that they may be on a, on a journey themselves. And so that was a real key piece. And I, I, I realized real quickly that when we share with each other uh, on, our, on our journeys, we actually learn a lot that way. And perhaps even more than through therapy or through other means, although I don't, I don't wanna to talk disparagingly about any of that because I know that it's important to seek help. Um, I started in 2004 with my family doctor, saw a psychiatrist. Through the years, I've had seen, I think, three or four different psychologists, uh, mental health workers, counselors, tried the whole gambit. And it was actually only three years ago when I, when I found someone that was able to connect dots for me with a lot of the stuff going on. And so, so very often, we, I know people talk about going to see a specialist or a professional and they don't really get what they want out of that appointment. My challenge is always, it's just like with a physical illness. If you, if you have an issue going on and you don't get satisfaction from the first doctor you go see, you'll often go seek a second opinion. And with mental health, it's a lot more difficult. It's not easy to, it'd be so simple, wouldn't it? If we could x-ray someone's brain for mental health and then go, oh yeah, you need this and you'll be good to go, but that's not the way it works. So. Very often I tell people, you know what, go seek a second, third, or maybe even a fourth opinion, because it's important to be able to move forward. So that whole thing morphed into, aside from my conflict management work I do, which I call my day job, into myself, and I do call myself the recovering farmer. That's kind of the trade name I go under, and I present to people. Um, I do presentations, which include my own story, my own journey but then also delve into tricks we can use and tools we can use and how we can recognize it and deal with it and, and that kind of stuff. So you've done a lot of talking about mental health in a public setting, which isn't necessarily what we normally hear from men especially, right? We hear that uh, at least from larger quantitative studies that men generally have more stigmatizing views about talking about mental health. So I'm wondering if you could actually tell us a bit about how you started talking about it, um, you know, who you talked to, uh, when and where, and even things like the language you used when you were talking about it. Well, and like I said, uh, I had been asked to share my story um, and again, never realizing what the implications were. In fact, it was kind of funny because uh, as a kickoff to these workshops we did in 2010, uh, we went on CKLQ radio in Brandon uh, with Bob Turner, I believe his name is Bill Turner, perhaps a call-in show. 
And we had just sat down in his studio to start the show and he opened up by introducing us. And then he looked at me and he says, I understand you have a story to tell. And, it, and that moment hit me. And back then I said, it was an oh crap moment for me. Today, I call it a WTF moment where I just went, oh boy, I can either start talking about it now or look like a complete idiot. And so I did start talking about it. And I always found it ironic and people often say, well, how can you talk about it? Because of course, like you just mentioned, Rachel, there's always been a stigma associated uh, with, with talking about mental health issues, particularly with men. Uh, I know at my age, um, we were taught at a young age that if you had problems, you could work your way out of it. And I tried that. Uh, I often say that, you know what, in my darkest moments, I would go to my hog barn because it was a refuge for me because I thought I was away from the rest of the world. I was away from my telephone. I was away from my family. So it felt like a refuge for me. And yet I've also come to the understanding uh, that that's not something that will fix you. Uh, we need to be able to share. We need to be able to talk about it. Uh, I often use the story of... Um, of when I first went on medication, a year and a half later, I was off the medication. I thought I was doing well. I was involved in a life altering experience when my brother had a very serious motorcycle accident. Uh, suddenly my own issues kind of took, were set aside. I now had more duties to do on the farm and it really kind of pushed me over the edge. And I remember my neighbor dropping by and he just looked at me and he says, are you okay? And of course, normally in the past, and like we often do, we say, you know, my response would have been, yeah, I'm fine, no problem. But for some strange reason that day, I started talking. And for 20 minutes, I talked. I just verbalized what was going on in my head and found that that was incredibly therapeutic. It's not that he provided answers for me. Rather, he normalized and validated what I was feeling. It, I found, I realized very quickly, I'm not alone. Uh, which is a key point in recovery. Uh, secondly, I often tell people, you know what, if you verbalize all the stuff going on in your brain, it, it's, it's interesting when you verbalize it that perhaps the situation doesn't seem quite as dire. Uh, when you verbalize it, you can actually start looking at how you can fix some of this. And so, so my key point to people is, is talking about it. And, um, and the more I shared, I guess, and the more acceptance I found, the easier it was to open up even more because there was still some stuff I was loath to talk about because I didn't really want people to know. There was still some shame and guilt inside of me. For example, I know that I often tried to hide my issues from my wife and my kids uh, because again, the shame and the guilt. Uh, but I found out later I hadn't hidden it very well and in fact, my family, my wife and my kids now are my biggest support system because they, they can tell when I'm going sideways. They, and, and in fact, three weeks ago, my wife says, you know what, you need to go for a checkup. Like, you need to check in with your therapist. And so it's important that, we, that we're upfront with what we're going through. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't actually easy at the start to even talk to your family, right? Which you would normally think as your kind of first line of, of defense. It's interesting how having a really accepting conversation with a neighbor was, you know, a really important moment for you. 
It was Rachel, and and it's part of this this telling my story and and from with coaching from my colleagues at the farm line back then. I realized that I needed to sit down with my wife and my kids and talk to them about the way my mental health had affected them. And, and like I said before, I thought I had hidden it from them. But when I sat down and chatted with them, it was interesting for me to learn at the time that they had known there was something going on. You know, my wife, my, after I'd started talking to my wife about it, uh, of course, we would wait till we thought the kids were in bed or were in different rooms. And yet they would tell me they'd been standing at the top of the stairs listening in, right? to what was going on and, and the fears and concerns they had had. My wife talks about, in fact, I make light of this and, and when I talk to people about this, when I first asked her about my, the effect my mental health had had on her, she actually said, you know, it, it, feels, it feels to me like I've been married to four different men in my life. Um, and I always say she's lucky. I was married to the same woman, but <laughs> we have a laugh about that. But then she tells me about the first couple of years we were married and we were living in a different community and, you know, we were building a home together, as it were. And then I got involved in farming and suddenly that seemed to be a priority. But then also I started drinking. And, and part of that was I shouldn't say I started drinking. I, I've been drinking not heavily, but socially been drinking most of my life. Um, so what happened is suddenly I was using, as, as my mental health was starting to deteriorate, I was using alcohol to, to cope. And that's a really bad idea because I, I often tell people in my presentations that, that alcohol does a really good job of easing your anxiety. Unfortunately, what happens when alcohol leaves your body, your anxiety actually increases. So now you've got double the anxiety. So the only way to combat that is to drink more, which I did, uh, which doesn't didn't end well a few times. And so these are all things, again, which I've become a lot more open about because these are things people can relate to. Uh, I, I've often, even in, in farm mediation situations where I was sitting and chatting with farmers across the door at the kitchen table. And, and they would say something to me kind of hesitantly. And then I would say, well, when this happened to me or and their eyes would just open. And they'd say, so you get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the fact and everybody needs to be aware of it is the fact that we're out there, we're all living in this world. We're all experiencing maybe not the same but similar situations. And particularly now with the pandemic, uh, hey, it's throwing a, a, a loop into all of our lives in different ways, but it's still affecting us. It sounds like you found a lot of opportunities to engage in these conversations, both in sort of like a volunteer capacity and then also through your work that was really useful. I, I can imagine that um, for a lot of men, it might be difficult to, to imagine having such open conversations in, in their work. What do you think we could do uh, generally as a public to try to broaden the conversation and, and sort of encourage conversations about mental health, especially among men? You know, again, and, and and particularly in agriculture, Rachel, 
I often talk about the fact that I started talking about it in 2010. I would get what I call at best a warm reception to it. Yes, initially at Ag Days when I did the first presentation, there was a group of people there, had did some media interviews. And then through time, it kind of just died out. Uh, and nobody seemed to want to talk about it. Nobody talked to me about it. And, and suddenly in the last few years, there's been a huge awareness uh, blitz. And you see people like Do More Ag and you see Farm Credit Canada uh, doing things. Uh, you see the federal government taking note. And again, I'm talking uh, agriculture wise. Um, but, but again, when there's this awareness, and, and I particularly noticed that uh, this last, just before the pandemic hit, I, I uh, was part of a workshop in Yorkton. And, and I often tell people when they ask me to do presentation, they say, well, you know what, you talk so and so long and then we'll have Q&A. And I always laugh and say, there won't be any questions because people are still hesitant to get up in public. I said, yeah, after we're done, they're gonna come to me and they're gonna have questions occasionally. But actually in February, when I was at this workshop, I was surprised that there was actually two or three men that got up and asked fairly specific questions. Questions which made me realize and made the, the group there understand and realize that these guys were having issues, but they were willing to talk about it and they were willing to ask questions and they were willing to start addressing what was going on. Right. So there's sort of, it seems like a growing awareness and acceptance and ability to disclose some information about personal experiences, right? Yeah, for sure. But there's still sure. a lot of stigma. Oh, there is. Um, and I, perhaps there always will be. Um, I know even in the email I received for this, for this interview, um, there was a question on there about, you know, what do you think about when you hear the term mental health? And I, I think mental health, just the term itself, still has tremendous negative connotations for a lot of people. Uh, when you talk, when you talk to someone about mental health, you see defenses go up, and you and you see people not wanting to talk about it. And and we need to do a paradigm shift with that. We have to start understanding that mental health is a good thing. We want mental health. We want good mental health. And so it's no different than physical health, right? We need to strive to be better with our health. And, and so we need to change the, change the way we think and talk about mental health into something where people are actually engaged in it and want to do better. Yeah, absolutely. So we've, we're hearing more about mental health now, I, I would say, even more with the pandemic. How do you think the pandemic, COVID-19, has actually influenced mental health, specifically well, your mental health? Well, I was just going to say, say, let me start with my own, Rachel. Um, when the pandemic first started uh, in March, there was a certain novelty to it, dare I say. It was okay. I can't go out on the road. I'm going to sit at home. I'm going to do some meetings virtually. I'm going to binge watch Netflix, right? And It'll, it won't be a problem because of course in a month or two, we'll be back to normal is kind of the thought pattern a lot of people had. Well, that's changed. And so it was interesting as much as, much as I was doing work, um, as much as I was golfing, uh, as much as we could have the occasional social distance 
get together with friends on our deck, um, with our grandkids, you know, I didn't think we were in a bad place. But about a month ago now, I guess, four weeks ago, I found myself starting to slide down a hill I didn't want to go down because I knew it wasn't going to end well. And with my experience in my journey, normally I can go, okay, there's this issue, this issue that's always kind of brought me down, but they weren't issues now. I was doing well there. And so I couldn't put my finger on it and it was frustrating for me and and that's why I say my wife finally said you know what go see the, go see your naturopath your therapist and so I did uh, I felt somewhat silly going see there's a stigma thing again uh, because I went there knowing full well I know I need to exercise I know we're at time of year I need to use my sad lamp I need to increase my protein intake I need to communicate with people more but I wasn't doing these things because it's still something didn't make sense to me. And so when I sat down and talked to her, I mean, one of the things she talked about in my work with conflict management, I do a lot of work with Zoom uh, or virtually or teleconference. I never leave the house. And so that's something that was draining my emotional gas tank. Uh, she talked about the fact that there was this big unknown. We don't know. and so. When I sit down and read the paper this morning, I read, well, we're not going to be back to normal till late 2021 or early 2022. And so suddenly that hits me, right? There's these big unknowns. Um, there's a fear I have about what COVID might do to me, what it might do to my wife, what it might do to my kids or my grandkids. So there's that, that constant fear we have. And and there's a whole lot of other world issues going on. Shoot, even, even the American election plays into this because you get on, on the computer in the morning and I like doing that to read the news headlines and it's all ghastly news to say the least, right? And so when I do that, I feel myself just going, oh, I, 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 why do I wanna live, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of these things were happening. And so, so it was just a reminder for me to to reach out to someone that I could open up to and talk about what I needed to do. And, and guess what? I, I call it a new chapter. In fact, I write it, it's supposed to be a weekly blog, but I had gone quiet for three or four months because I didn't have a motivation to write. But I started a new chapter just over a week ago. Uh, I call it a new chapter and I, <laughs> I've had to start lots of new chapters because I keep, Sorry, I shouldn't say I keep, but occasionally I'll go sideways and I need to bring myself back. And, uh, and I do some of these things. I, I do the exercise thing. I do the sad lamp thing, although I'd like to call it a happy light. Uh, I make sure I talk to people. And all of these things have kind of invigorated me again to, to make sure I do these things because I know it's helpful. Um, Yes, are there still fears? Absolutely there is. Is there still concern about how this is gonna work out in the end? Yes, there is. But we have to live kind of for today because today I can control, right? Yeah, it's what is remarkable to me in listening to you is how much experience and how many strategies you have, right? I think there's an incredible strength that that comes from Having, having lived with a, a diagnosed mental health problem 
develop strategies over time. And yes, this is a new chapter. This is different, but you have resources. It is different. And, and what, what's intrigued me, and I started talking about this last spring actually, is, is we have this thing in our skulls called a brain. And I'm not a doctor by any stretch. And I know there's the frontal lobe and temporal lobe and all kinds of other stuff in there, which I don't want to get into. But I sometimes talk about we have two brains, a feeling brain and a thinking brain. And when 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 stress takes over or things happen in our lives, the feeling brain takes over, which makes us do things we probably shouldn't. But I read something really interesting in the last week as well is that when stress becomes chronic, um, and, and they use the example of if you're driving down the highway and yesterday morning was a prime example of icy highways and I was on the highway and of course, when the car starts moving a wee bit, suddenly your heart skips a beat and you get this adrenaline rush. But very quickly, once you got the car straightened out, your, your stress response calms down. But when you have chronic stress, then suddenly a month or two into this chronic stress, you start reacting to much smaller events in your life, same as you used to about much larger events, right? And so it's, it's prevalent there. And as this starts happening, then our behaviors change. We start coping un, in unhealthy ways, like the example they used of drinking a little bit more. And trust me, one of the biggest jokes, I suppose, on social media these days is about how, you know, you need to, you need to drink to cope with the pandemic. You need to cope with homeschooling your kids. You need to cope with Zoom meetings on and on and on. So yes, we make light of it, but it's actually something that's happened. And you, you read headlines about opioid addictions and, and overdoses being much more prevalent. And so these are things people do to, to, to respond to this. But going back to this thing happening in our brains with our stress response, the key to this, Rachel, I always say is self-awareness. But this is the lesson I've also learned in the last couple of weeks is I was very self-aware that I was starting to slide down this hill, but I wasn't doing anything about it. So being self-aware without the follow-up action isn't going to be very helpful, but this is where I've had, to, and it, trust me, it didn't happen overnight. I've had to discipline myself. I've had to reset myself numerous times over the years. It's where, okay, I'm self-aware. I know that something is happen happening that shouldn't be happening. Now do something about it. And so that's when I implement these different tools I can use to try and get into a better frame of mind. And it sounds like you have various people around you too who, who uh, keep you honest uh, at times too about whether or not you're following through with, with the action that's, that's required. Absolutely, I do. And, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. But the reason I also have that is because I've opened up, right? I've, I've, I've made myself vulnerable. If I had never done that, people around me wouldn't know what's going on. So we have to make ourselves vulnerable because you, everybody has people around them that they care about. And yeah, you know what? There are times, and it still happens today, where there's things I don't know. You know what? When my... My wife comes home from work and she's had has these struggles there with an increase in COVID numbers and she has her own concerns and anxieties. 
who am I to sit there and just dump on her, right? But I also have one or two friends that I know, hey, I can give them a call. And one of them actually dropped by a socially distanced coffee this week uh, and we chatted. And, and it's amazing again, how that is helpful. It's that human connection. Absolutely. Goodness sakes, if you find yourself sliding downhill, stay off of social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think I think it's easy. I think I was reading the same piece that you were about the sort of stress response this this past week and thinking about how my stress response is sometimes to scroll through Facebook and and why am I doing this and yeah I, I do I had to sort of check myself last night and say to my partner I need a hug that's what I actually yeah. really want right now is is you know some human contact yes um, because I why am I why am I going to this screen again <laughs> yes exactly and you know they talk about chemicals in our brains. And, and I know I was initially diagnosed with a serotonin imbalance, um, but actually three years ago, which is 17, 16 years after the fact, actually this therapist I now use, she probably doesn't like me calling her a therapist. She's a doctor, a naturopath. But anyway, she told me three years ago, she says, you know what? I don't think it's a serotonin problem. It's a dopamine problem. Um, but I brought that up only to say, you know what, we, there's also another chemical in our brain and it's called oxytocin, uh, which is sometimes called the love hormone. Uh, and just like you say, Rachel, a hug will release that, that, that hormone or that chemical, which in fact is going, is a natural built-in stress reliever. And so it's that human contact. Right. It's talking to people. And being able to identify it and, and vocalize it, like you say, like, that's a really big step. Yes. Yeah. For sure. You know, it's it's November uh, this month, and not that we should only talk about uh, mental health in November, uh, but I, I think it's an opportunity for us to raise conversations, particularly about men's mental health. Is there anything else that you would leave us with in this November podcast series? That might help. Well, well, I think first and foremost, Rachel, I think it's important. Movember, yes, you're right. We need to talk about it all year. Uh, I often say that when Bell has their Let's Talk Day in January, February, whenever that is, yeah, it's great to raise awareness that one day, but what are we doing a month or two down the road? And so, so I'm hoping these events, whether it's your Movember podcast, whether it's Let's Talk Day, whatever it may be, as a reminder to everybody, whether we're dealing with mental health issues or we are not, we need these reminders to build that awareness. And for goodness sakes, you know what? If someone isn't dealing with mental health issues, reach out to someone because I'll tell you, I know that what is it one, I don't even know what the numbers are. I'm not gonna try and guess, but there's, we all know people that are struggling. And so, <laughs> reach out and even if you don't know whether they may be struggling today or not a phone call a zoom call you know reach out and chat with people and let this november be another reminder that we want to build more awareness and we want to get people to open up more and particularly men absolutely 
Well, thank you for being so candid about your own experience uh, and your journey. I, I know that it's it's not always easy to talk and, and I'm sure that there will be men out there who appreciate this conversation. And I really wanna thank you again for your time. You know what, Rachel, it's my pleasure. And uh, if there's people out there uh, that would like to chat, um, they can go to my website, uh, jerryfriesen.ca. My contact information is there. My blogs are there that some people I know when they start reading them can relate to it and that opens up conversations. So yes, whatever I can do to help. Thanks so much. Alrighty, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Research Connection podcast. You can visit our website for links to everything that was mentioned in the episode and for more Research Connection content at www.brandonu.ca slash bu-cares. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you can stay up to date with current research that impacts your community. Thank you.